Well, we've got a bit of a special episode this week. We're joined by a guest, Jeremy Keith. Uh, Jeremy is the a writer and speaker, a worker at the um, web design agency or web agency, generally speaking, Clear Left. And um, this is a quite exciting moment for me because one, when back in, I think it was 2013, I bought um, a book called HTML for Web Designers. And that was one of the first moments where I started taking what I do seriously. Um, and that was quite important in my transition. And I've seen Jeremy speak at a couple of conferences now, um, but we've never spoken before. So this is quite exciting. But we're very happy to have you here, Jeremy. Hello. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I get the impression, Ed, to put you on the spot, that you're not ma as massively familiar with, with Jeremy's work as I am. Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't want to come across rude, but before Future Sync, I hadn't actually heard of you. <laughs> don't you know who I am? <laughs> well, when, I, when Tom mentioned you, I, I thought it was a, a name I should have known. But uh, now I do know it, and <laughs> more the better. Yeah. So, Jeremy, I th I, my understanding of, of your general like message that you get across in, in your books and in your conference talks is that the web is for everybody and should be, and we shouldn't be making things that get in the way of that when we make websites. Is that accurate? And can we expand on that a bit? Uh, yeah, no, it is accurate. Uh, I wouldn't say it's particularly my thesis so much as... Um, Tim Berners-Lee and the and the Web's thesis, you know, when uh, back at the 2012 Olympics, when Tim Berners-Lee had just one message to send out, and he chose to send out "This is for everyone," you know, as the, that that was a good encapsulation, I think, of the ethos of the World Wide Web, and um, I yeah, just try to abide by that. I mean, partly just because I think that's what the Web is really good at, as in. Um, it's 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 the kind of medium where you get to have your cake and eat it too, in terms of um, you know if you're on a crappy old device and you're using an old browser, you can still access things and you can still get to content and fill out forms and do things. And if you're on the latest greatest browser and a fast connection and a great device, you can get these amazing uh, things that we can do now on the web. All kinds of um, brilliant graphical interactions um, and when it comes to building the web you get to build in a way that allows for both you don't have to choose you don't have to decide well I'm going to build something really basic so that it will work for the widest range of devices and the widest number of people or I'll build something really whiz bang that will work just in the latest, uh, latest and greatest browsers the fact that you can do both um, that the technology of the web lends itself to kind of starting from the idea of, of a, a simple base using, you know, simple technologies and then layering on uh, the really cool, you know, fancy stuff in such a way that um, it works for everyone and provides the best experience to the people with the best devices. And I just love that about the web, that you don't have to uh, make that make that decision. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of at the heart of everything I've I've ever talked about, you know, I've, I've written books and talked about different technologies over the years, whether it's about JavaScript or Ajax or HTML5 and all this stuff. And um, each time I'm sort of saying the same thing, just using a different technology to illustrate it, which is use this technology wisely, use it responsibly and build in this layered way so that nobody is left behind. So is that the idea that even if 
say someone in nations that don't necessarily have fiber internet everywhere even if they go to your website they should have something that's not just five minutes of waiting for a jpeg image to load or something exactly so i mean um the the kind of methodology that kind of underpins all this was, was given the name progressive enhancement many years ago and i think it's a it's a good way of of thinking about it. it's a fairly misunderstood term because i think people now web developers have come to associate it specifically with uh, JavaScript, and they think it means, oh, it's making everything work without JavaScript. But it, it's it's much more of a mindset. It's much more a mindset of thinking about what it is you're providing. Like you're you're about to build a website, you're about to build some kind of service. What is the core functionality of that service? If you had to, you know, distill it down to its core basic, what is that thing? And then making sure that you provide that functionality using the simplest technology, so that yes, somebody in a situation very different from yours could still access that core functionality. Now, that doesn't stop you then saying, okay, I provided the core functionality using the simplest available technology. I am now going to go ahead and layer on some added extras. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it really swishy and fancy and do all sorts of good stuff. But you're kind of free to do that now in a, in, with a clear conscience because you know you're not going to you know, make mess up what you've already provided at, at the kind of basic level. So... Um, yeah, it's about thinking in that in that way. Like, what what is the core thing I'm providing, and and providing that in the simplest possible way before going on to enhance. That that sounds like quite a complicated thing to me. Uh, being able to uh, is there a way of websites telling how much data you've got access to when you go on their website? Is that is that a thing? <laughs> uh, the, well, there is there is a browser API. Uh, so so I guess the yeah the, the trick is how does a website know if the user is on uh, a bad connection or a poor device, something like that. And in theory, there are some uh, browser APIs that should return whether someone's on Wi-Fi or someone's on um, 3G or 4G. In practice, they don't actually work that well. Um, so what I tend to do is kind of assume, begin by kind of assuming the worst. Like I'll assume somebody's on a bad connection. And then once I've sent the bare minimum down the wire from the server and then I'm in the browser sort of, landscape i can then using javascript i can run some tests you know um like i said in theory you should be able to test for bandwidth in practice it's actually kind of tricky there's some proxies you can use like saying well if this is a really big screen then maybe there's more chance we're on a desktop computer and maybe there's more chance we're on a better connection but even that's not really a safe assumption either but there are different ways you can kind of um kind of do little sort of ifs if statements and go, if the user is in this situation, then do that. Um, more and more, what's really interesting is that browsers are providing ways uh, for the users to specify their preferences, which is really interesting. So we're already seeing things like the user can specify that they prefer a dark color scheme, right? This is often inherited from the operating system. On Mac or Windows now, you can switch your operating system color scheme. That gets inherited by the browser, and the browser can now pass that on to the website. So as a website builder, you can say, oh, if the user prefers a dark color scheme, then use these colors. Well, likewise, there's there's settings now showing up on mobile devices like prefer, I forget what the exact naming is, but basically preferring uh, reduced bandwidth or preferring, you know, reduced costs, basically, because when you're on mobile, mm. especially, you know, it, it costs money. And that as a website builder, somebody who's making a website, you do get to access that and say, oh, if this 
you know, preference has been set, then maybe don't pull in this, you know, very big image or, or heavy video or whatever it happens to be. And you can, again, make those kind of judgment calls based on what the user is specifying. And I think that's a really good um, uh, progression that now the things are getting handed more into the hands of the user. It uh, feels like in the early days of the web that that was the case. The user had a lot of power. The user had a lot of say. And for the longest time, that seems to have gone away. And it's more the people building the websites get to have a say about how websites are going to behave. And now, little by little, we're seeing some things get handed back into the hands of the user. I mean, I know these things are kind of buried away in preferences and stuff, which isn't ideal. But still, I think in principle, it's a great thing to see that the users get to decide uh, these these important questions. Now, is there a, an, an important aspect of this as well that is about almost, well, I want to use the word failure states, sort of graceful failure states, but not necessarily failure, is in you're trying to load an asset, you're trying to do, some, do something with JavaScript. If it doesn't work, either because the bandwidth isn't there or the device capability isn't there or, or any, any number of reasons, what happens when that breaks is a useful experience for the user. Um, exactly. That seems to be part of it. It, it is, but but the interesting thing is, there's two different ways you can approach that. So I mentioned this this mindset of progressive enhancement, which is thinking about the most basic thing you're offering, providing that in the simplest way, and then layering on stuff. Now there's another way you could approach it, and I think this is generally called graceful degradation, where you build a thing with all the bells and whistles, you build a thing, you know, all singing, all dancing, then you consider, okay, but what if this isn't available or the users in this particular scenario. And then you you add in the functionality, the code needed to take care of those situations. Now, in theory, the, the end result should be the same, which is that no matter what the user's situation, they still get to access something. But I think the mindset is completely different. The mindset of starting from what's the core functionality and building up, which is progressive enhancement, is very different from starting from the mindset of, okay, here's everything. Now, how do I account for the situations that I haven't really been thinking about? And and the, and it also, it tends to increase code, right? It tends to increase the amount of stuff you're sending down. It's like, okay, well, if it's this situation, then I need to you know, provide this extra functionality. Whereas by starting with the basics and layering up, you know, you're, you're, yeah, starting from that minimal place to begin with, so you know it's going to work for the most people. But in principle, I suppose the end result should should be the same for users. But I find personally that that mindset of progressive enhancement um, just feels better than the mindset of graceful degradation. I suppose there's an aspect where in the real world with budgets and time pressures and deadlines and all that, you don't necessarily get to fulfill your entire vision every time you're starting on a project. So if you're doing the, the graceful degradation thing, you're starting from all the bells and whistles, and you maybe, if you've got time and budget, can get down to supporting everything. Whereas if you start with progressive enhancement and you start with that base level experience, you've, you're always building up rather than down. Exactly, yes. Now, I mean, some people will say that the, the issue with progressive enhancement is, ah, oh, that's going to take more time right, to, to build that way rather than just assuming everything's available and building the bells and whistles version to begin with. Um, and I would say it will take more time to begin with, as in the first time you build this way, if you're not used to it, it, it it's definitely going to take you longer. But I think that's been true in the past as well. Like, you know, before we had responsive web design and we were building fixed-width websites and stuff, the first time we had to try and create a 
a, a fluid layout that would respond to different screen sizes. It took ages because we weren't used to thinking that way, right? But then the second time we did it, it didn't take as long. And then the third time we did it, it was not long at all. And it just becomes normal. It becomes the default. So I think with this progressive enhancement mindset, the first time you try to do it, if you're not used to it, it, it is going to maybe take more time. And I can see how, you know, the budgets might say, oh, we don't have time to build in that way. We won't do it that way. But honestly, it's one of those things where the more you do it, the easier it gets or the less time it takes on every project. Um, so it does it does kind of feel like exercise as in, oh, you just have to do it, <laughs> like you know, get used to it. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting parallels with the yeah, like you say, responsive web. And I mean, I've noticed from my experiences working with with design teams as well that at first, like the idea of designing something mobile first was a real struggle. In the same way that we're finding with with developers and developing um, sort of base level, everyone gets it first. Um, but that that has changed. So I now find when I'm getting designs from designers or working collaborating with designers, we get. The mobile, the mobile vision comes pretty early, if not the first thing that you get. And everyone did do their exercise and got used to working in that way. And now it is quicker and everyone finds like building the sites is better for the person coding the CSS for that responsive layout. The person designing it has a better time. I, th- I feel like we're not quite there yet with the, the progressive enhanced way of building a site, but I, I feel like it must only be a matter of time. I mean, I would hope so. If it feels like what happened with responsible design was we were somewhat dragged kicking and screaming into having to exercise those muscles because uh, mobile, right? Mobile exploded and, you know, you better get on board this train or you're going to get left behind. So we had to learn how to design mobile first, how to build in a responsive way. Um, and it feels like something like that might be needed to to give us the kick to to also think in that way in ter- regards functionality. Um, I, you know, it, maybe some some situations will happen that will encourage people to to realize not everyone's on fast connections, not everyone's on the best devices. Um, there's I, I've seen developers, you know, have certain exercises for themselves to to get used to that mindset, like um, a particular day of the week where they'll throttle their bandwidth, right, at the network level, so they 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 really feel that pain, um, or a day where you're only allowed to use your phone, you're not allowed to use your laptop, or you know, all these these different exercises you could imagine to try and get used to it. But I do think there is a disconnect in the situation of people building for the web and the situation of people using the web. As in, when you're building for the web, you generally you've got a nice big screen, you've got a fast connection, you've got a fast device. And that's just not the situation that people are actually in when they're accessing what you're building. So it might look great and feel great on your machine, uh, but that doesn't mean it's going to work across the board for everyone else so it's somehow bringing those things closer together right it's somehow getting us more used to to feeling what it's like to use those different devices different situations i guess there's almost like it's like the technology can almost be fighting against us in that it's just getting so much better all the time and it doesn't matter if your website is four megabytes because everything's really quick the internet's fast phones are fast but yeah like you say it's realize forcing yourself to realize that that is not the situation for everybody yeah absolutely it's like we don't we don't feel the pain when we're building it so so we you know when, when we choose to use uh you know megabytes of javascript or giant asset um it feels painless to us because we're developing locally it's on our own machine so we don't feel that slowness we don't feel the pain that someone else is going to feel uh, and maybe if we did you know 
it'll be different. Maybe if we're using graphic design programs and every time you, you know, added an extra font or used a, another large image, the program itself slowed down and <laughs> made it slower to design. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'd all design in a, in a leaner way. So if you could speak to maybe people who are just starting their career in web design and web development, would you suggest maybe throttling your bandwidth when you're building your first few websites or something? It kind of it feels pretty slow already. Right? I don't know if there's something you can do to make that uh, seem more important. Well, I don't you know because I do. I have taught people who are switching careers and getting into this. I teach at a Code Bar here in Brighton, which is specifically for people underrepresented in technology. You know, potentially making that move for career change. And it doesn't generally come up in the early lessons because we're really talking about the level of, you know, what is HTML or what is CSS. But as soon as um, assets come into it, like images or video and stuff like that, then it's like, ah, yeah, okay, we need to, we need to have a talk. We need to discuss the, the impact and, and get into some of the details about... It's kind of about what's expensive and what's cheap when it comes to the web which could be very different if you're coming from a, another medium, a different background. Like, if you're used to print design, then uh, you can have all the different fonts you want in a poster or a card, um, but maybe you're limited in your color palette because of the printing process you're going to be using. So, you know, fonts cheap, color expensive. And now you move to the web where it turns out, oh, no, you can have all the colors you want, and that won't make any difference to the user's, you know, uh, experience of, of performance and, and speed. But every time you add an extra font, you might be, you know, really, you know, slowing things down. So this 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 feeling of what's expensive and what's cheap in the specific medium of the World Wide Web is, I think, something useful to learn relatively early on in, in the in the career change. Do people that are learning now have it easier than they did in the past? I'm wondering, I'm thinking specifically maybe about things like the picture element and source sets for like the things that we I had to fight tooth and nail for back in the day, and well, not not that long ago, but it's yeah, still, no. still pretty new. But it's, it's a lot of uh... this, so this is yeah, this is the weird thing because on the one hand, yeah, absolutely, it is so much easier now. I mean, not to talk like you know, old guy on the porch yelling <laughs> at the kids to get off my lawn, but if we wanted rounded corners back in my day, you know, that was this huge <laughs> rigmarole, much less responsive images and. And now you can get so much for cheap, right? Or almost for free. You know, you can you got border radius in CSS. There you go. There's your rounded corners. You got gradients in CSS. You got multiple background images. You can do all the stuff. And even in HTML, you know, if I wanted to do a date picker in the past, well, you know, that would have been a lot of programming. Now I can just write input type equals date and I'm I'm done. And all these different additions we've we've got to HTML and CSS and JavaScript that, that do make it easier to do more with less. And yet, the actual process of becoming a web developer has become way more complex than it used to be back in the day. Um, as in back in the day, if you wanted to be a web developer, you kind of just said, I'm a web developer. And you started writing HTML and CSS. And yes, it was tricky to do rounded corners and gradients and all this stuff, but you know, you muddled through. Whereas now it seems like before you even get to the stage of writing HTML and CSS, there's so much more stuff around it in terms of, well, you need, you know, this website needs to be set up with this build process and these particular tools. And, well, you need to understand version control because uh, you got to understand how Git works. And, oh, well, we need to NPM and uh, Webpack. And then it just, it's overwhelming. 
And I could see Ed. I could see Ed nodding away. <laughs> I, I felt all that pain. <laughs> yeah, and that's before you even got to your first angle bracket to just write some HTML or write some CSS. And so, so there's this weird paradox where, yeah, at the level of the languages of the web, things are so much better now. And not not to mention just you know browser inconsistencies that used to be you know, at least 50% of your time in the past was dealing with inconsistencies between browsers. And now that's more or less fallen by the wayside. The interoperability between browsers is great now. So on the one hand, yeah, I mean, you could teach someone how to get started with some HTML and CSS and make a web page in a pretty short amount of time. And a web page that could do some pretty uh, impressive stuff. And yet, if you want to be a web developer... It's a long road, and it's it's not really to do with those technologies. It's to do with all the technologies around it. You know, all the the processes, the the build tools, the tool chains. Um, which, frankly, I have to be honest. I myself, I I'm, I'm old. I'm sitting my ways. I I can't deal with it. I can't get up to speed with that stuff. And so I feel I'm I'm still really into the web and the web technologies that are in web browsers, the HTML, the CSS, the JavaScript, all that stuff. But I just don't have time for all that other stuff that goes on around it. But I feel bad because if you're if you're getting into this world, the reality is that's the kind of stuff you're going to need to know about, which is a bit dispiriting to me. Yeah, I've definitely found that in the the jobs when I've started, it's not the it's not the work that is the hard thing to get into. It's all the stuff around the work that is the the support mechanism and the the developer tooling that is meant is there yeah. to make your life easier. Um, yeah, I think I feel like Ed has had some <laughs> painful experiences here. The, well, I was learning how to code and learning all this stuff. So yeah. It was twice as hard. <laughs> There's so many words that you just don't know when you're starting off. It's like build pipelines and Garrett and Jenkins. Ah, what do you what what do these even mean? <laughs> I feel like particularly with the JavaScript ecosystem, they're just they're, all the good names have been taken, so they're getting more and more ridiculous as well. <laughs> well, it's funny. I remember. Uh, Net Magazine, which sadly just folded recently, I mean, they got in touch, I think it was towards the end of the year, a couple of years back, they were going to do kind of end of the year roundup, looking ahead to the next year, what technologies are going to be, you know, hot next year. And I thought, oh, I'll have a bit of fun. I'll, um, I'll just make up a name for a JavaScript framework. And I'll say, oh, next year, Clear Left are going to be using, you know, and I just came up with some name and said, this JavaScript framework. And before setting it off, I thought, you know what, I'll actually just check to see that it isn't an actual JavaScript framework. And you know what it was? So I thought, okay, I'll change it to some other name. And I checked that, and that was taken. And literally every name I tried to come up with was already a JavaScript framework. I couldn't even parody it. Now, I've got here in my notes, uh, I wasn't necessarily going to mention it, but uh, it's, it's couched in my notes as if, I'm, if we're feeling controversial. Uh, is to was to to perhaps poke you a bit on the term progressive enhancement because the impression I got was maybe you've not fallen out of love with the term but it's not something you you try to avoid the terminology. Oh, I mean, I think it's a great term personally, but it is widely misunderstood. Uh, unfortunately, as I said, I keep I keep referring to it as a mindset because I think that's what it is. Um, but a lot of people don't like, the, I guess, the vagueness of that. I mean, to me, it's a process. It's a way of thinking. And people want to, want to have something more, um, something you can point to. And so what people have taken to is assuming it's, oh, it's about JavaScript. 
It's And if someone is advocating progressive enhancement, then what they're saying is that everything needs to work without JavaScript. And that's unrealistic, so progressive enhancement just doesn't work. But that's a misunderstanding of progressive enhancement. First of all, it's not about JavaScript. It's about any technology. You can apply progressive enhancement at the level of HTML or CSS as well as JavaScript. And the, the other misunderstanding there that kind of sneaks in is this it's it's almost like a, a pastiche to say, oh, it's about making everything work without JavaScript. It's that everything part. Um, as I said, the idea is what you do initially is you think, what's the core functionality? What's the one thing that this service, this website provides that I need to make available to the widest number of people? And that's the bit you make available with the simplest possible technology. Now, the simplest possible, te possible technology, it might be JavaScript, but more likely it's going to be something like HTML, right? So... Maybe you're providing text on a screen, right? Well, HTML is the, is the choice to use. And then use JavaScript to, to enhance it. But once you've provided that core functionality, you can absolutely have other things um, that you provide that, that do rely on JavaScript, right? Because they're not the core functionality. They're the added extras. Um, so I always think of um, my friend Wilto, who, when he was working on the Boston Globe redesign back when you know responsive design was was kicking off, and that was the first big responsive site. He talked about this. He said, you know, there's there's a whole lot of things on the Boston Globe website that require JavaScript to work, but reading the news isn't one of them, right? So the, you make that distinction between your core functionality and everything else. Now, that doesn't diminish the everything else part, because your core functionality, yes, it needs to be available to the widest number of people. But the way you kind of distinguish your product from everybody else's product is in those enhancements, is in the, you know, the beauty of the interactions and the animations and the neat functionality you can provide above and beyond the core functionality. But progressive enhancement has kind of been reduced in a lot of people's minds to oh, it's about making everything work without JavaScript. Now, I, I realized this a few years back, you know, from talking to people, from quizzing them on what they understood by progressive enhancement and why they, they rejected that term. And I realized, well, what I could do is I could try to set them straight. I could say, no, 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 here's what it actually means. Uh, and I realized that that would probably be the rest of my life. Like, I remember hearing this podcast where it's an interview with this guy who's, He's made it his life's work, Wikipedia, uh, because overnight people will have written on Wikipedia some new article or some new edition that says something, something comprises of something, something. And that's grammatically incorrect. It either comprises or it consists of, right? Now, he is correct. <laughs> he is in the right. The people saying comprises of are technically wrong. But that's his life now. He's going to spend the rest of his life, you know, making those changes. And I thought, that would be me. That would be me with progressive enhancement. I'd spend the rest of my life going, actually, that's not what progressive enhancement is. So I decided, okay, I, as much as I love the term, maybe the way I reach people is by not using that term. And instead, just talking about the benefits. So I talk about resilience, and I talk about performance, I talk about reach and accessibility and universality, and all of the things that progressive enhancement provides without using that phrase specifically. Because for some people, that phrase is very off-putting now, because they've, they've embedded in their heads that it means everything working without JavaScript. So that's why in the FutureSync talk, for example, I didn't use that phrase, but 
I absolutely was talking about progressive enhancement in the talk. In fact, pretty much every talk I've ever given, every book I've ever written at some level is actually about progressive enhancement, even if I don't use those words. So maybe it needs a, a rebrand with a different name. Yeah, I mean, people talked about that. Yeah, we call it something else. Or, you know, you just talk about the effects of it, which is kind of what matters, right? You talk about, yeah. oh, if I build in this way, the website will reach more people, right? Or it'll be more performant. It's easier to pull, to pull people around to it when you're talking about specific benefits and actual actionable things to do. Um, having a, a broad name for something, I guess, is you're, you're trying to persuade someone on a lifestyle is, is much harder than this one specific thing we want to do on this website. <laughs> yeah, it feels like progressive enhancement is just almost too big to to get your head around. It's like you're, you're asking me to yeah, change, change my ways, change my way of thinking. Whereas if I can take a specific example, I can say, oh, well, if you do it this way instead of that way, then you'll reach more people. And that's, you're right, that's, that's going to be the more effective way to reach people. So coming from a, uh, a, a code newbies sort of uh, position, uh, have you got any tips for, like, say, I'm, I'm putting my first image in my website? Are there any, like, hard and fast or quick and f dirty tips for uh, making sure that it's going to work in the way that you've been talking about? I guess it would be an extension of... of the, the first lesson, which which would be about that kind of related to mobile first thinking, you know, I find this a lot when I'm teaching people um, the basics, you know, the HTML, we get to the CSS, they're, because they're working on their laptop, usually, they're immediately thinking this is how the website's going to be seen. And instead trying to get them to think, ah, no, but what if you start assuming that it'll be seen on a much narrower screen, then maybe all this layout stuff you're, you're doing in CSS, maybe you can leave that for now. Maybe concentrate on color and typography and contrast and stuff like that to begin with, and we'll get to the layout later. And likewise, with, with stuff like images, you can say, well, why don't we just use a small image for now? And then later, we can see how we would uh, you know, swap that out for a bigger image if someone is on a wider screen. Because it turns out that that is the easier problem to solve if, if you're coming to it new. Like figuring out how do I take a small screen design and make it look good on a wide screen? That's actually quite fun because it's like when it goes to the wide screen, you're given this gift of space and you're like, oh, great. Now I can really go wild. Whereas if you come at it the other way and you're assuming the wide screen and then you think, oh, how do I make this work on a narrow screen? Okay, that's that's really, really hard. And for people who were web developers, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, when responsive design and mobile came along, that was really hard because it was almost like the progressive enhancement thing. It was asking people to change the way they think, change your mindset. Don't think widescreen, think small screen. So I think that people coming to web development, web design fresh are in a better position because... You know, you, you can start with this, this pristine mindset and say, oh, I'm going to start assuming a smaller screen and build up from there. Um, likewise, there's all this uh, layout stuff you can do in CSS now with uh, Flexbox and Grid. And if you're a new developer coming to this stuff, it's going to be smooth sailing because you learn how it works and it makes sense and you put it into action and it just works and it's amazing. If you've been doing web development for years and you're used to using all these kind of hacks and then you're trying to switch to this mindset, this way of thinking that uses Flexbox and Grid and all this stuff, it's actually really, really hard. It's not objectively hard. It's subjectively hard because you're, you're, you've got so much baggage that you're coming to the stuff with. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to stuff like 
you know, images, making images responsive, making responsive designs in general, layout, all the stuff. I do think that that kind of stuff is is a good position to be in as as a as a newcomer. Um, I think the trick is for someone teaching that stuff to not teach it in the order that you learned it, because we, we probably all learned it from pre-mobile desktop, you know, large screen first, and then moving to small screens. Like that, don't teach it that way. Teach it the way that we had to, you know, be dragged kicking and screaming to understand, which was small first and and large later. So um, yeah, I think that that overarching lesson of of and I, I, it kind of corresponds to the progressive enhancement mindset, I guess, right? Starting with the core functionality, building out. Likewise, starting with a smaller screen size and 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 working outwards to a larger screen size. That mindset would be the first thing I would kind of try and get through. And then it would cascade down into things like images and layout and all these other things. Yeah, that that's something that I wish I'd have known when I started building my websites. Because like, like you said earlier, you, you start on a laptop and you think, I've got this screen, so I'm going to start doing this. And then a lot of the time I think, there's a lot of screen here. How am I going to use all this space? But if I'd have come at it from, because like, you've got the dev tools, haven't you, in browsers where you can just change the, the size of your right. screen to be a mobile, whichever mobile you want. Um, that would have been probably a lot easier <laughs> to get started with and have something that looks more effective. And I suppose a lot, like most people these days, they use their mobile devices to access the internet and look at websites. So it kind of makes more sense. More people are going to be look, viewing your website in that way. Yeah, I think I think you could almost, um, as a rule of thumb, say, well, you know, laptops or desktops are for building on, you know, making websites with. But think about the phone as you know the device that people will be viewing it on, and then almost treat looking at a website on a laptop or a desktop as the edge case as the exceptional kind of case, which is a real turnaround from how we used to think, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But if you if you bring that mindset, um, you're going to be much in a much better position. Yeah. And on the on the dev tools as well, you've got a there's a thing where you can kind of change your the amount of data you get. So I suppose that's a really quick and easy way to see what happens if you're on a 3G connection or what happens if you've got not much data available to your website i think when i did it it did about half a couple of minutes later something had finally loaded onto the screen so i wasn't doing a very good job there <laughs> yeah there's a bunch of different tools out there i mean yeah for when you when you're developing locally dev tools are are definitely a friend but once the website's online there's there's some great tools for kind of measuring performance or or i mean a lot of the danger is that it can be quite um mathematical i guess oh here's a bunch of numbers or here's a graph and here's a you know waterfall charts which doesn't really encourage empathy that much but but a lot of them are really good at communicating how it feels for this thing like a web page test is this fantastic website where you put in a url you can specify which device and which network you want to you know feel how it loads on that and one of the things it does is it generates a video uh like a of the, of the website loading at that speed on that device and that's so much more effective than looking at a chart and looking at, you know, numbers. It's like, oh, my God, this is taking forever. You know, you really feel the, the pain as that image is loading in. A lot of what I'm seeing from new people coming through is that I don't want to say they're skipping the fundamentals, but it's very easy to dive into a, a framework, for instance. I mean, um, I mean, I spend a lot of time working with React. I see a lot of React devs coming up and they're doing everything that like, when you don't have the, if you're just using the the happy path of, what you're taught straight away on the basic hello world lessons, you've got something instantly that fails if JavaScript doesn't work, for instance. Um, do you 
have any words of encouragement or sage tips for people in that scenario who are maybe umming and ahhing about doing the extra work that it takes to make things as easy for their users as it is for users of people who aren't using something quite so fancy? See, this is tricky because it depends on your reason for switching careers into web development. Like if it is, I want to get a job in web development, then, you know, I can't in good conscience say, well, I think the first thing you should do is, you know, spend your time learning, you know, spend all this time learning the basics of HTML and CSS and then JavaScript and then moving on to React, even though I think that would be, I think, the, the better order to learn things in. If your priority is getting a job as soon as possible in web development, then uh, learning React is, is going to get you that job quicker. I mean, to the extent that I know extremely talented developers who maybe aren't strong in React or don't do React, who have missed out on jobs because they couldn't, and they are, I mean, overqualified for this stuff, but it's become the recruitment you know, line item, um, React, or some other framework, but generally it's React, right? Mm -hmm. So if your reason for learning the stuff is, I want to get a job, then I have to say, figuring out how you write the React app out of the box is probably going to be your fastest path to getting a job. Now that's it. Hopefully you'd still kind of want to know what's going on under the hood. Why is this working? What's happening? And if that's the case, it's like, oh, good, let's let's dive into, you know, what actually happens in a web browser, what the building blocks are. And maybe you can do that as you're doing the React stuff kind of on the side. Uh, maybe you're by day, you're still you're making React apps, but by night you're you're leveling up in the, the more fundamental stuff of, of uh, HTML and, and CSS and stuff. Like I said, ideally, it would be you learn that fundamental stuff first and then move on to using a framework, which is, I think, how most people imagine frameworks work, is that they're, they're a power tool almost for power users. But the, the reality is they become the, the expected technology for uh, recruiters, certainly. So I get it. I get why people um, are gravitating to that. What's dis discouraging is when people they, they get the jobs. Maybe they're even at this, you know, mid-level developers or even senior-level developers at this point, and they can make fantastic React apps using this framework. But they still haven't delved down into what I consider, you know, the simpler, more basic stuff of HTML and CSS, and, and you know, what's what's in the guts of of our technologies. And that they don't have that that desire. They don't have that desire to to understand what's going on under the hood, um, which can be kind of damaging. Because I've seen people, you know, recreate stuff in Framework Land, recreate stuff in React, or views, um, that you could have actually done in HTML. Like you would have got a free, in, or there's a CSS uh, property that would have done exactly what you're trying to hack your way through. So I I would hope that people would have a more well-rounded kind of set of skills but like i said if your priority is i need a job then i totally understand why people go all in on, on react because that's how you land the job yeah there's an element of, of pragmatism to all of these uh if anyone's reached the point where they're doing a, pro a genuine career transition there's going to be a lot of pragmatism to be sort of taken into account when making that switch i think uh, the the dream scenario would be you find a workplace that take that will hire you to do the advanced fancy thing that you've the buzzword that you've trained for, but also appreciates the value of like the 
not, not backwards compatibility isn't the right word, but the making sure that these things work fine. I mean, one like the canonical example I think of is like a fancy graph using D3 and mm-hmm. React to build it. I mean, they are two very heavy libraries that do an awful lot of lifting for you. But the end result, what you get is an SVG and you can interact with that with the fancy React version, but it, but you can also copy that SVG code and just put that straight into your markup. And that's a, a workable solution that comes straight down in that first, first of download. Yeah, and I think it is possible to balance those two things, like I said, to be like doing the React stuff and then meanwhile, you know, diving into those fundamentals. Like um, a friend of mine, Amber, she uh, used to live here in Brighton and I met her at Code Bar. Actually, she was a student and she very much had that, that, that curiosity. Like, why, why does this work this way? Why are we writing these particular characters on the screen? Which is great because I love explaining. Ah, oh, good question. Let's dive into that. Anyway, she ended up um, getting... Uh, a job in web development, which is great. And she's in Berlin now uh, working at a, a startup. And sure enough, it's a lot of React, right? And and she's great at it. She's she's learning more and more React with every day. And she's a, a good React developer. But she does recognize that, you know, she also wants to know the fundamental stuff. And maybe she didn't get enough of a grounding in that. So we still have like calls once a week where we, we, we talk through the stuff that definitely isn't going to come up at work. Right, the stuff that like, you know, dive into the the real fundamentals. Um, it's actually been a lot of fun. Like just as a, as a kind of exercise, we did a, well, kind of this ongoing exercise of building website. Like, you're going to build a website for, uh, let's say, a restaurant, and say, okay, so just start with just think about the HTML you'd write for that restaurant website. Oh, but here's the here's the catch: the year is 1999. <laughs> Now write that HTML. And now, you know, you've got to do some research and figure out well, what, what HTML existed back then, what HTML didn't exist back then. And then, you know, and then we move the years forward. And oh, CSS has just been invented. Okay, now <laughs> let's add in some CSS. But, you know, and it's it, completely impractical in many ways. If, like, you're working at a startup in Berlin, that's not going to help you technically. But in terms of giving you a, an understanding and a founding and like knowledge of, of these more fundamental technologies, it's... Yeah, I think it's it's building up a, a well-rounded kind of oh, knowledge base. That's a great way to look at it. I suppose the, another alternative to that could be build this fancy website, but make it work in an email that we're going to send to people. <laughs> that sort of, yeah. <laughs> suddenly e- you have actually, to learn about e- e- table email, <laughs> email design is very much like designing websites 15 years ago or 20 <laughs> years ago. Brilliant. Cool. So I, I guess a good place to leave it on would be that message to new developers to stay curious about the fundamentals um i can't think how to turn that into a question <laughs> <laughs> no that, it, yes i i i agree and um because you know, people do sometimes ask oh what should i learn and i usually follow up my own questions well why are you asking like if the if the, if the, if the reason is because i want to get a job I say, okay well go and learn react frankly if 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 time is of the essence and you need to learn, go on. But if it's if it's genuine curiosity about how the web, I want to be a good web developer. I want to understand how the web works. Then I go, ah, great. Here here's the list of things to learn in order: HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Right in that order, uh, and don't skip ahead to CSS too soon either. Like this, you might think you've got all there is to know about HTML, but there's probably more there, you know, hiding in the nooks and crannies. And don't skip ahead to JavaScript too soon either, because maybe there's a lot you can do with CSS. You don't even need the JavaScript yet. Um, So if the reason for, yeah, 
wanting to to become a web developer is to genuinely understand web development, then that's my advice is HTML first, CSS second, JavaScript third. But if your reason is I want to get a job tomorrow, then yeah, React first, frankly. <laughs> Have you got any uh, resources? So if I was starting out now and I wanted to really understand HTML for instance, have you got anywhere that a good place people could start? I, for instance, I um I looked a lot of free code camp. That seemed like a quite a good step up in each of those topics. I don't know if you've got any other suggestions or shout outs. Well, when it when it comes when it comes to HTML, I can think of a book. <laughs> yeah, there's so. I mean, I would I wouldn't actually recommend HTML5 web designers as a starting point for HTML. It's more as the diving into some of the those uh, later bits. Um, but I mentioned CodeBar earlier, uh, which is you know more about sitting down with people and face with older now. Obviously, it's gone remote, but um, their curriculum is all online. If you go to CodeBar.io, uh, and it's all on GitHub as well, you can you know you can see the, the the lesson plan, and the lesson plan does go you know HTML, then CSS, then JavaScript, which I think makes a lot of sense, and it's improved over time too because it's on GitHub. People are able to fork it and change it and make changes to it. So I think they do. I think that's a good. Uh, lesson plan in general um, there are a whole bunch of other resources out there and I have linked them but I don't have them in my head this is why I, I have my own website so that I don't have to keep <laughs> this stuff in my head so yeah. um, I've, I think I've, done, I've even done a blog post where I've, I've gathered together a bunch of my favorite um, resources for if you are just starting out here's a good place to go um, so I'll dig out that uh, the URL of that blog post and I'll, uh, I'll send it to you yeah and then we'll, we'll definitely put that in the show notes yeah thanks so as well as as well as linking to your blog, have you, have you got anything at the moment that you want to to sort of put in front of people? Uh, if people want to find out more about you and, and your work, where should they go? Uh, no, I mean my my website adactio.com is pretty much a, represents me very very roundly. It's not all web stuff, web development stuff on there. It's also you know my um, my other interests. So you'll, you'll find blog posts about movies and books and videos of me playing mandolin and. All the other stuff I do, but on on the work side, um, yeah, I do blog about web stuff on there as well. Um, also, uh, the agency I co-founded, Clear Left, um, a lot of stuff on the blog over there. Not just about web development, but it's a design agency. There's a lot there about um, design, user experience, design research, um, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, adactio.com and clearleft.com. Brilliant. Uh, just finally, then you, you mentioned that you uh, play the mandolin. <laughs> um, I was going. How did you get into playing the mandolin? So you seem on your Twitter feed. It looks like you've every couple of days or something you're putting out a new video of playing mandolin. Being such a, you seem like quite high up in the web development world. How did you get into playing so much mandolin? <laughs> uh, well, no, it's, it's been um, sheer um, obstinacy. Me playing mandolin. This is like I, I had no innate musical talent whatsoever. And just from lots of years of chipping away at it, I finally got to a place where I can, you know, hold a tune on the mandolin. Um, and with the, putting it online, because that's, that's something I haven't actually done much before, but it was basically once we, once the lockdown started, once I started working from home, I thought I'm going to just have one bit of routine, which is that I'll put one tune online every day for as long as this uh, <laughs> situation lasts. Um, and so far, so good. And I've I've got enough tunes. I know that I think I'll be able to uh, keep it going for a while. Excellent. Yeah. We know a lot of. I I used to think 
coming from a music background into to web, I used to think I was a unique snowflake. But I think now I know I I know fewer developers who aren't into music than I do yeah. who are. It's, it seems to be a unifying factor. I play I play bazooki in my band Salter Kane. Uh, play slide bazooki, which is Ooh. yeah interesting. Oh, that sounds fun! I'm definitely going to check that out, and we'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Sure, yeah. Salt, saltercane.com. Fantastic. I'm sure everyone will be checking that out as well. Um, so, Jeremy, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and spending your time chatting to us. And hopefully um, some of our listeners will have got some advice for starting out in their developing journey um, and will remember to start mobile first. That's something that I'm definitely going to take away from this. Um, so thank you very much. Um, listeners at home, if you've got any questions that you want to send in, don't forget you can find us on Twitter at AQOCode. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev. So uh, thank you very much for listening. And once again, thanks to Jeremy for being a guest this week. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.